back. And uh, this week, out of uh, respect, we are Don West is best. Quentin, what the fuck? Dude, that's... I, well, I was, I'm not on Twitter as much because I'm so busy at night now, so I don't really get to see Twitter, and then I'm right back to work. But, yeah, dude, what the fuck? I, that was <laughs> terrible to come to yeah. log on to Twitter and see. Yeah, I mean, I know you're a huge TNA guy, and you know I, I really liked that era of uh, TNA. Oh, hey, we've got a guest. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the podcast. Um, host of the Barabuda Tag Boom, and I guess uh, the uh, blog where you're covering all the same information as well on this network. Um, we, we, Alex. We got, we, we, got a, we got a better introduction. Like, she's like the goat of mm-hmm. naming her of naming her media yes. uh, her media endeavors what was the uh god what, what was the, what was that one that she did the the joshi 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 oh yeah joshi 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 after yeah, tony tony tony, tony. <laughs> <laughs> no alex is like great at that shit how are you doing alex i'm doing pretty well like quentin my new job has me at night so when i get home i go on twitter all the english people are waking up and it's really thrown off my twitter sphere oh that's rough that is rough (laughs) dealing with the brits that's your primary interaction on twitter no good um yeah alex you i mean i guess we did a podcast the first time with each other a long ass time ago it's been a long time since we've done anything um, but yeah, you always have interesting projects that you're working on. Um, seems like the podcasts have not been coming out recently, but I guess new, new job, new everything going on. But, uh, how you been? It's going pretty well. So like the better about a tag room thing, it's mostly, I have physical books in Japanese, but my own Japanese skills are not at the level to just do the translation myself. So I'm going through machine translations and then my gut instinct to see what makes the most sense. And I finished through one book. I'm about to read through the Chiyo Obata biography. Since Chiyo Obata started wrestling for the original Tokyo Joshi Pro back in the 50s. And they did some tours in like the newly created South Korea and Guam. And basically, it's a, this is the most work I'm having to do for the podcast. So it's taking the longest between episodes. Got it. Yeah. Got to do that machine that, learning, I guess. You, the research you do for that show is honestly ridiculous. When I've done Psychology is Dead, I felt like, damn, like it feels like, we, like like the amount of prep work we do, not every podcast does. And then you came around, and I was like, Jesus Christ, she's like reading books to do a show. <laughs> yeah, like... Um... Yeah, this one person in a completely different like political group chat on Twitter, they complimented me. I'm like, this person has a whole ass college degree in archiving. And then another Twitter mutual, I'm blanking on his name right now, but if you're a part of like Joshi Twitter, you know him. He does a lot of translations on Twitter. And he was like, oh, I'm getting a master's degree in the history of Edo, and I find your work and research very thorough and fascinating. I was like, wow, a master's degree in Edo. Like, and he complimented my research on the late Edo period. So, like, <laughs> yeah, that was, like, the any of the compliments on the research has probably been the biggest thing. Oh, his Twitter handle is at TWF87, Nozaki support account. A whole master's degree in Edo. I'm like, they're complimenting me on my research. 
Well, yeah, now I feel a little bit better by how taken aback I am when I listen. <laughs> so if someone who's getting a master's degree is also uh, getting something out of it, then it's not just me that's, like, completely dumbstruck from the amount of, yeah, like, just the, the dense amount of research that you're doing behind the podcast. Yeah, like, my desk right now is um, two books and a wrestling magazine, and then behind me I have another book. All these books are in Japanese, and my English books are somewhere else in the house. Well, luckily we didn't waste your time this week having you watch any uh, super long, boring wrestling shows. Um. <laughs> I, well, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't even a wrestling podcast today. Uh, yeah. Me and Alex have been plotting, and we're just, we're just going to talk about critical race theory. <laughs> oh, perfect. perfect. I'm actually not legally allowed to learn about critical race theory. Um, it's, been, it's, it's been made illegal. Um <laughs> Did you guys Uh, see the San Jose Sharks Juneteenth tweet? No, no. Okay, so the San Jose Sharks is a NHL hockey team in San Jose, California. (laughs) The logo is a shark biting through a hockey stick, but for Juneteenth, it was a shark in the Pan-African colors biting through the chains of slavery. (laughs) (laughs) Alex, why'd you tell me this? Uh, did he have? Did he have like a pick in his fin? Oh my god! <laughs> no, it was literally someone raising their ch- hands and chains, and the shark biting through them in the well, pan-African colors. See, that's a uh, that's actually a great white shark, and it's just another example of a white savior. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Jesus Christ! That is yeah, a, I, oh I gotta find these that brands. Picture. Brands are going off, and it is. Very, very much worth it. This is fantastic that every brand. Oh my god. Oh well, thank you for I, that. I, I, one. I love, I love, I love to have my Black Liberation uh, yeah. branded. I love it. Oh my god, that is. Thank you, San Jose Sharks. That is a good one. So, is okay. Is Juneteenth? It's a natu- national holiday now. It's now a federal yeah, it's a, holiday. Yeah, it's, like, it's a federal holiday. Yeah. Fantastic. And Juneteenth is just the celebration of when. Texas decided that they were going to abide by the laws that had already been enacted a long time beforehand. Yes, eighteen sixty-five. Yeah, keep 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 in mind keep in mind that like no one asked for this. Yes, no one asked for this to be a federally recognized holiday. No, we've asked for everything else, (laughs) not for this to be a federally federally recognized Uh, holiday. uh, Yeah, well, I mean, you have to you have to blame it on Atlanta basically and uh, Donald Glover. Because and nobody, well, probably blackish too. Yeah, but like, no white people knew about Juneteenth until it was on Atlanta, basically. So I mean, like, fuck. I'm gonna be honest. Maybe it's because half my family isn't from America, but I never really knew of Juneteenth until the last couple of years. It's definitely it's definitely picked up steam in the last couple of years, and then last year with everything going on, obviously, it was the most that we that I said that I ever saw it talked about. And now, you know, a year later, after everything, you know, Juneteenth of the federally recognized holiday. <laughs> Fantastic. God. Yeah. That's, well, that's, I mean, that's it. We've done, we've done it. We've uh, fixed all of the problems. Um, <laughs> the only news story that I had to talk about was Samoa Joe. Uh, he's back in NXT. I don't know if either of you guys care. Yeah, I guess that must have been like a renegotiation, I guess. 
it was just like from what I heard, it was like a very clear like Triple H just didn't was not looped in that they were gonna let him go. So <laughs> that's really it. Yep. And so he was fired, and then Triple H was like, "Wait, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can I bring him back for NXT?" And they were like, "Sure." How the fuck does this? How the fuck does this company work? <laughs> it's amazing. It really is to think about that. Like, yeah. How? how how did he get released? And like, wait, hold on. Where's Where's Joe? Yeah, I imagine that Triple H just like, man, I haven't seen I haven't seen Samoa Joe for a couple of weeks. I wonder what's going on with him. Yeah. Oh yeah, we Oh yeah, we released him, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What the fuck? It's an insane move, and it's like, it would make more sense if it was the idea, right? That they re they restructured his contract because he's not an in ring talent anymore. I would have accepted that, but yeah, the story that I heard as it was reported was like, no, they just went through with releasing him and that was it, and then Triple H was like, well, I can still use him, so maybe just send him to NXT instead. And then, again, this just circle back to the last episode we did, this is what happens when they actually really like you, so for Aleister Black, thinking that like, oh, they wouldn't have released me, well, you know, <laughs> they, they did uh, bring Samoa Joe back like instantly, uh, and they have not done that for you yet, even though there's like some rumors that he might be coming back, we'll see. Um, they, but they like my ideas. They love it. They love my ideas. Uh, yeah, Paul yeah. Heyman's like, Alistair, your ideas are just so radical. They're just too <laughs> ahead of where we are right now. They're great, but they're just too in the future. They're not right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alistair, yes. Black, Alistair, Black is ahead of his, Alistair Black is ahead of his time. He was born in the wrong generation. Yes, yeah. Four, I love the I, what I loved about that quote was he said four years. It's not even like a decade or like a noticeable amount of time. It's like yeah. it's like four years because like yeah like, four, like just four years into the future. Not even. Like, <laughs> it's it's like well can it's we? Uh, say, it's gonna be the it's gonna be the same wrestling landscape for four years. Yes, like, especially <laughs> WWE. Nothing has changed in WWE in the past like fifteen years. Four years from now, everything will be exactly the same. The idea that, like, four years would be such a difference that Aleister Black's great ideas would be perfect is was amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Paul Heyman, obviously all-time finesser, a guy who just <laughs> deserves every bit of credit for for the career that he's had. Um, I, watched, I watched some documentary about Studio 54 uh, the other night that was on Netflix, and uh, that just reminded me that Paul Heyman ran a wrestling show in Studio 54. So, yeah, guys just... Uh, Wait, ex- excuse me? What? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys never heard this story before? No. I, I know I know, I know. that Heyman used to run around as a photographer and all, the, and all that stuff around around New York City. I know that. Yeah. He ran a wrestling show in Studio 54. Yes, this is like an old, old story. But, like, yeah, at some point he ran a wrestling show. Seeing the documentary made it make a little bit more sense because one of the guys would, like, put on insane shows all the time at Studio 54. But at some point he ran a wrestling show in there. And uh, and one of the notable things that I remember is he used Bam Bam Bigelow. And this was before Bam Bam had even shown up in, uh, like, in WWE. So he used him while he was still, like, an independent wrestler who hadn't been anywhere yet. Um, he was just like a bouncer from from Jersey, worked in New York and stuff, and he was like, "Oh, you know, work on this wrestling show in this club." So yeah, so so again, Paul Heyman just uh, ultimate finesse, always got his finger on the pulse of things. So he can he can tell you right down to the month where your ideas are. Actually, your ideas are four years, sixteen days, uh, and seventeen hours ahead of time. Yeah. 
fantastic song. Imagine being such a mark for that company that someone tells you, yeah, your ideas are totally gold, great, amazing. They're just too ahead. And you're like, wow, wow, I'm glad you see this too. Wow, man. Oh, wow. Like, oh my God. Especially someone that like, I, we don't claim to know wrestlers. Like wrestlers can like look at fucking Drake Younger and everything that we've yeah. seen go on with him in the la- in the last couple of years. So we can never claim to really, really know how these wrestlers think. But Alistair always seemed like a well-spoken, intelligent dude. So this is so him to be this is like a super shocking development to think that WWE is just in love with him and no and no one else understands their relationship. He's he's like a delusional dude that just got broken up with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and it, it does go to like uh, what's her name, Thea Trinidad. Her her t- taste in men is not the best. With going from yeah. Austin Aries <laughs> to Alistair Black, she's like, got a uh, thing for trashy dudes with tattoos. That's I mean, can't blame her. I'm not saying that either of them are bad looking, but Jesus, I'm, Aries, not your type. <laughs> no. Okay, what, what what about like what about like long what about like longer hair Aries like long wet hair Austin Aries? That's better than the like really short like maybe guard three haircut. Yeah, when he's got the the Caesar cut and the goatee, not your vibe. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. He kind of looked um, like he would be a luchador doing a Backstreet Boys parody gimmick. He would be uh, maybe. I'm trying to think of which uh, one. Please put some respect for the <laughs> Little Spice Boys. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Please respect <laughs> Little Spice Boys. Oh my god. Yeah, that's he would he would uh, be like a knockoff version. You know how there was like four different Ninja Turtle teams? He would be yeah. in like the third the third rate Backstreet Boys team. Um <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, is he is, is he or is he not taller than Joy Patone? Oh no, uh, Joy Fatone's not short, is he? Yeah, no, he's massive. Or I mean, I thought even, he was pretty even big. Even Aries is like, like, like when we True. call wrestlers short, like a lot of when we call wrestlers short, a lot of wrestlers are like. No, Aries is human. actually uh, short. Yeah, I think Aries. I don't is know real how short. I don't know how short. Yeah, he is. Joey Fatone's five eleven. Oh shit! He definitely taller than Austin Aries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Austin Aries is like real short. He's so, like. So, Chris Kirkpatrick is the shortest member of NSYNC. Okay. And he's 5'9". Ah, man, is Aries 5'9"? I, I wouldn't. You know, no way. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, There's with no his way boots Austin on, 5'9", right? Yeah, no. He's billed at 5'9". Oh, yeah. Okay, he's yeah, definitely he's definitely not 5'9". Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh. Yeah, the craziest thing, getting obsessed with the uh, Takarazuka review, is there's this one girl... Right though, she's legitimately taller than most of NXT UK. She's like five eleven. <laughs> yeah, this, this is why like this stuff is funny, right? It's because like comparatively, like these wrestlers are short, but then in reality they're like average height human beings. Right. So it's always funny to sit there and think about and think about like Tyler Bate is short. Like how tall is Tyler Bate? Like Tyler Bate's like gotta be like five seven. Yeah, like, he's five yeah. seven. Yeah. Yeah, like. That's why. That's wild. How how small most of those guys are. Yeah, no, it's nuts to think about now. Yeah, English people aren't really tall. That 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 trait just skipped right over that. Yeah, huh? that's why no, you don't see sure. English people play basketball. The rest of uh, Europe plays basketball, but the English no, are like, like, oh no, no, they only play basketball. 
They're too short. No, yeah. They can't hop. Every, every, everything you're saying is true. That's the funny part. Yeah. Everywhere else, like in France, you can find like a random like six eight dude. Yeah. You're not gonna feel like the tallest dude in in England is Tyson Fury. <laughs> <laughs> and he's Irish traveler, so he's not ethnically English. Oh shit! You're right. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, so he's a pikey, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's like even the random like Croatian guys that will show up in the NBA and stuff. Like you'll have those guys, but there's like no British dudes. Look, everything she's saying is true. Yeah, no, it's I mean it's 100 percent correct. I tell no lies. Yeah. Which it's weird, right? Because it's like uh, plants, if you take them away from the sun, they grow taller to try to get to the sun. You would think that in England, yeah. they don't have any sunlight that they no. would you know, reach to the sun. But I think it's been so long that they've just given up. It's to um, make clouds. Yes, exactly. Their body, their, bo- their body decided they don't need any sunlight. They're, they're they're, they don't need any sunlight. <laughs> they're done. It's over. Um, Jesus Christ. Uh, well... This is mu- this is much better than the Stardom show. We're it, is. it is. It is. It is. We're going to talk about, but we are going to talk about Stardom, unfortunately. Um, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> Alex, uh, I know that you follow Joshi, but I don't think you really follow Stardom, do you? No. No. Um, Absolutely so, not. So you're coming in this into this a little, probably more blind than Quentin, less or less blind than me, probably. Um, although I did just, re- we just did review that last Stardom show relatively recently. Um, but yeah, this was supposed to be a big show, I think, or at least like it was pay-per-view and it was going to be an English and an international pay-per-view. Um, the attendance I see here on cage match puts it at about 1200 people in the building. I don't know how many would have been allowed. Do you guys know what the capacity was going to be? I don't know the capacity, but like Bushy Road has been pretty truthful yeah. in um in the, in their ticket sale numbers, so I don't know. I tend to believe it, but I don't know what the capacity was. But I do, but I do believe the number just because Bushy yeah, yeah. Road at least at least for the past ten years, like they don't like they don't paper that stuff really. And no. given the state of emergency, you have no reason to paper because. I believe you're not allowed past 50% capacity at big events in Tokyo right now. So there's no good reason for them to lie about the attendance. Because no, no one's doing good attendance right now. Right. But it just makes, I just, it, it's part of why I don't want to like, you know, critique the attendance number for being what, to, you know, to me seems kind of low for them, especially because. Yeah, um, New, New Japan ran there in March uh, for the New Japan Cup. And the attendance here on Cage Match for the New Japan show was fourteen hundred. So that I got checks close. out. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty close. And, and I, but I just everyone's saying like, oh, Stardom is the only company that's like been growing through the pandemic and you know is coming out of this better than they were before. And it's kind of like, well, I don't know, twelve. I guess that's good though. If, if New Japan only got fourteen hundred comparatively in the same building just a few months ago. Um, either way, open up. Uh, is it Makai? Um, versus um, yeah, Micah. Micah. I was trying really hard because uh, she kind of looks like is dressed like Mako Satamora, so I was trying really hard not to make her name sound too much like Mako. But uh, yeah, I didn't get uh, any answer as to why her gear looked so much like Mako Satamora's from uh, from my research assistant. We'll say behind the scenes, um, going up against uh, uh, Sakayaki. Um, oh, go ahead. 
Oh, I'll just, I'll just say, yeah, Una, Una, Unagi uh, Sayaka. Sayaka. Man, I am done for with names today already. Um, anyways, Quentin, what did you think of this? Um, I like I like the ideas here. I don't dislike Micah. Micah and Himeka are still kind of green and fit and fit and, fit and, and figuring things out. Um, I like the idea um, of some of some knee work that got introduced. The selling wasn't great, but there were some ideas here that I feel like if they were just a little bit more polished as workers could have been executed better. But that's the reality of the, of the Cinderella tournament. Um, at least in recent recent vintage, and obviously right now, they're trying to bring in and build up these uh, these younger, less established names, and a lot of them aren't going to be completely polished. And I think that was very evident here with a match that had a pretty basic layout, and with um, more seasoned workers would have been better executed. But these are still people trying to figure this out. Yeah, uh, Alex, what was your kind of takeaways on this? Um. I wasn't impressed by Unagi. Like, Micah did fine. There was some nice knee selling from the injury. You can see that from the bandages. But, like, watching the video package beforehand, because I did watch the big, like, stardom show that was on Girls Say and Budokan Hall. I watched the stardom TV show version of it. And she won the Battle Royal, and I, I just don't get why she won that. Like... A veteran or an old school stardom face should have won that. It was the 10th anniversary show. That would have been a nice touch. But Unagi won it. And I don't want to parrot the stardom angle of them beating up on Unagi because she was supposedly badly trained. If you don't know, Unagi is from Tokyo Joshi Pro, which is basically the only other big corporate rival to stardom right now. But no, she's not great. Like, there were some moves she did. It was a little sloppy. And I'm fine with some sloppiness, but... It was sloppiness that was coming from she didn't have quite the strength to go all the way with her legs or rotations. And it was just, I'm glad Micah didn't let the match go on too long. I just really wish Unagi was better than she was. But then I don't want to just parrot the stardom angle of her being badly trained. Because that's just shit. And I'm just... It's it's like two two things can be true at once. Like it's like It's like a situation like that. Where like... The idea that she's badly trained because she went to Tokyo Joshi Pro is bullshit. But at the same time, Unagi also... She's, even, if the tra- even if the training wasn't bad, she didn't pick it up well. Yeah, and it's like Stardom doesn't have a place to diss another company about their training. Because historically, yeah, yeah. Stardom rookies like to get injured within their first year. <laughs> and then looking at Stardom now, they're not doing a lot of training themselves. They're just picking off people from other promotions. Like, the the fucking actress promotion, the AWG, has better training, dead ass, than Stardom and Tokyo Joshi Pro. And those women legitimately have no athletic backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> no, it is, it is, it's, what is, uh, I, god damn it, there's like an idiom that works perfectly for this and I completely forget it. But, uh, either way, pot calling the kettle black, I guess, is the easy Yeah. One. But it is like... These are not the two promotions to be, you know, sniping back and forth about the quality of their training or their rookie talent because neither one of them historically. I mean, Tokyo Joshi Pro has actually gotten a lot better when it comes to their in-ring quality, and it seemed like Stardom was going down the same road. Um, but uh, obviously, after this show, maybe we're not quite there yet. Um, but yeah, it is very funny to, for them to be taking pot shots at each other for for that aspect. Um, 
Um, yeah, I thought that this, again, I, I, th I think I echo pretty much everything what you guys are saying there. Unagi, I think, great personality and uh, I think good charisma, but uh, could definitely work on the in-ring stuff and it kind of hurts her charisma that, like, it's she's not that great of a wrestler. <laughs> it kind of turns me off. Well, I think that she, there could be something there otherwise if uh, if she was just a little bit better and seemed to be, like, a, like you said, just, like, slightly sloppy in ways that just come across, like, I hate to use this word because you're not in there and, you know, she hasn't hurt anybody or anything, but reckless, just, like, you could be a little bit more thoughtful in what you're doing and a little bit more safe, you know, and who knows. What do I know? I've never wrestled. I've never taken a bump, so my opinions are invalid but either way uh that's kind of my takeaway there is it it's tough for me i like i i, I hate to say this because it's a weird like snobby thing and i can't i've never like stopped having it and i've talked about it in the past but if i like think that someone's like reckless and like not a safe worker it's hard for me to like really enjoy their wrestling um just because that's like to me a big point of wrestling is that it's safe um so yeah either way i thought fine it was quick it went by fast i thought the second uh, Cinderella tournament semifinal that we have here was uh, a lot better in the wrestling quality wise but didn't have necessarily the same level of uh, of personality I'll say um, but uh, yeah what is it Seiya Kamatani and who said it him Himika Himika yeah or is it Himika no Himika is a drink yeah um, <laughs> Himika <laughs> Alex what did you think of this one like you said, it was definitely much better. I'm a long-term fan of Fimika back when she was in AWG, and she had two names. Another thing I hate about the Dona del Mondo is everyone only has one name. I think it's stupid. It's some it's WWE bullshit. And it like is. branding or whatever the fuck, but none of these companies are copywriting names like WWE does or TNA does, so it's like... Why couldn't she be Himika Arita? Why is she just Himika? Why is Nasumi Maki just Natsupoi now? I don't remember Micah's last name, but she used to use it. Now she's just Micah and like boring. Good personalities. I saw the most like just insane tweet, and I forget who it was from about this that was so perfect. But they were talking about like divas, like 2000s divas wrestlers, is like the reason why they only had first names is because they were waiting for their husband's last name. Um, it really feels that way, but it's like, fuck, that is so bad. It, it's also, it's also like some, um, some LIJ shit. Cause it's like, you sure, know, like, there was sure. a period where like everyone, everyone that joined LIJ just had the one name. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, okay, but they can have regular names now. But like, it was a streak of Bushi, <laughs> Evil, Sanad. It's like, all right, God, where, what's going on? <laughs> uh, it is very weird. Um, yeah. Does Romu have, yeah, he has both names. But, uh, mm, yeah. Anyway, but sorry, yeah. Alex. No, it was like these two wrestlers have much better training than Unagi. And I like Himeka, like you said a long time ago. Saya Kamitani, she's growing on me. I used to think she, a little like Unagi, she was rough around the edges. She just needed to work on herself. And between the last year or so, this pandemic, I can say she's definitely been working on herself. She's getting better. I don't think she's ready for another red belt title challenge. But maybe no. <laughs> maybe two years. I don't know. They'll probably push it to a year. But give it two years. I want to see where she ends up. And yes, then she can have her 35-minute, 40-minute classic for the Red Belt at probably Tokyo Dome in two years' time. But right now, she's going at a good pace. And I feel like 
nowadays people are impatient with wrestlers getting better in a new career i feel like some people honestly need two to three years to be good and then start exploring different move sets and creativity and ring and match layout but i feel like people are getting way more impatient about a wrestler's development it's like she's allowed to grow like yeah pop off your jokes or whatever but Saya Kamatani is allowed to grow. Like some people are just better wrestling than others, but she's making a good progression pass. Um, I, I thought I thought Saya looked really good, looked really good here for the most part, especially coming off of um, her being in a big spot against Utami on the on the on the Yokohama show, and a lot of people thinking that Saya didn't look as didn't look great there. There were some couple sloppy moments there. I think Saya had a little bit more presence here. Um, maybe that first semi-final match did deliver the personality aspect a little bit more. I think that uh, Himeka and Saya both don't project um, star, uh, don't project like star aura uh, very strongly yet, but yeah, like this is this is just a much better match, much better um, in terms of pacing and structure. Sakamatani is very good at a at a fast-paced match. She's, she's good at she's good at selling. She's uh, her, her frame and the way she bumps and the way that she sells she she's she's good for that. I think that you know Stardom has had so many people uh, has had their plans changed so many times. I think that you know at one point Arisa Hoshiki was probably meant to be like you know there, she was going to be the star of the future, and obviously Hoshiki um, wound up wound up um, having more having problems again. And I think that Saya Kamatani is being pushed back into uh, into that spot that would have eventually gone to Arisa and. I do echo Alex that they should be a little bit more patient with her. Um, while she's getting better, she shouldn't be getting a super mega push. Um, I'll have more complimentary stuff to say about her when we get to the finals because I thought that she looked great in that. But I'm echoing like, hey, I'm not sure if we're ready to go with Sai Kamatani uh, going to a 60-minute draw yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. Uh, there's not a lot of people who who are ready for that, if we're perfectly honest. Um, but one thing that kind of crossed my mind as you're talking there with, with Sai Kamatani and, uh, and just like the idea that someone is just meant to, you know, wrestle their first match on tape and be amazing and then just continue to get better forever. It's like, I think that Daniel Bryan, unfortunately, kind of like poisoned the well with that. And I mean, obviously he's one of the greatest of all time, but that became such a major talking point of the Daniel Bryan greatness career is that you have his entire career on tape you see him from the moment he debuts and just continuously the entire time he's fantastic and it's like people think of that as like the standard that they hold people to and someone we mentioned or talked about a little bit on the last uh, episode like leo rush like another guy who you know debuted and then everyone was instantly talking about him got a bunch of buzz and from a rookie he's a big deal but then like the weight of that becomes too hard but someone who was a contemporary of daniel bryan's that people don't really mention it as much but early on Nigel McGuinness got shit on constantly <laughs> like the talking point about Nigel McGuinness con like forever f early on was like oh my god this is one of the most improved wrestlers of all time he was like so bad in the beginning and then became so good like also also, also like Nigel was bad or quote unquote bad comparatively to like fucking Daniel Bryan and yes. AJ Styles and yes. Samoa Joe like 
Like, like that was always a weird thing to go back and like hear people like that like say like hear that was a sentiment at the time. It's like, wait, like you're you're saying that he's terrible because like other guys that happen to eventually be all time great wrestlers, <laughs> right? Were better than him from the beginning. But it is like he got better and and became someone that people like hold in high regard. And it's just like they can't. Not everybody can be Daniel Bryan, and we have to like remember that because people expect. Now expect rookies to be good from the second that you first see them and to just continuously get better and better forever. And it's like, no, there's plenty of wrestlers who were not that good at the beginning who get good, who get great. Some of the best wrestlers of all time sucked in the beginning. In fact, people would argue most wrestlers sucked when they first start out and then they get good. But it's just like now everyone expects everyone to be great from the jump and then they have to just continue to be great forever. It's like this weird new standard that we hold everyone to. And as I said, it's I blame it on Daniel Bryan. It's the only negative that he's ever brought to the wrestling business. And I think another part of that is because historically, Joshi Wrestling, you had to stop wrestling when you're 26. So he's just a super accelerated career path until the 90s of you debut 15, 16, you have 10 years, and you're just going, going, going. And there's just a high level of competition between everyone. And like I'll talk about it eventually in my own show, but... I theorize that that's why you had so many just move innovation in the 80s and 90s because you would get five rookies, about five rookies each year at AJW. So you're constantly having to battle people already in the company, people coming into the company each year. So you're just having to think of a way to just stand out and improve. And then you had to do all of that before you're 26. Yeah, it's a pressure cooker. It's like insane to think. Yeah, and you earlier mentioned reckless wrestlers. Doshio Yamada back in the day said she didn't give a fuck and she didn't care if anyone got hurt <laughs> as long as she didn't get hurt. Look, hey. look, look, look we, like, we already know about Hikira Hokuto <laughs> and having to take that fucking metal rope tombstone. Like, they, 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 they yeah, did, they, didn't, yeah. they didn't give a fuck. Yeah, all these teen girls in this just hostile environment, they truly did not give a fuck. Yeah. Well, when you're that age, I mean, fuck you're you're crazy. You think you're invincible. I remember being yeah. that age and the kind of stupid shit I would get into. So yeah, yeah, I can't imagine with oh. that kind of pressure and that situation. Hearing Alex say that that makes me think about, and it's something I've thought about listening to Barrow Bar Tag Tag Boom, is, you know, we talk about like in a GWE sense, right? Like oh, like Joshi kind of got underrated in 2016, and people like Aja and. Um, and Akira Hokuto and Chigusa Nagayo and uh, and Jaguar Yokota, like they should get, be, be getting more praise like they did, did, did in 2006. I think the thing that, that I feel like doesn't get mentioned enough for um, for the women's wrestlers of Japan is the way that they've like found a way for themselves after AJW and such like with their rigid bullshit for so long. And not just them, like other promotions, um, we're, we're still we're still stuck in their, like, those ways of thinking. It's insane. But, just, but just the way those women like had to go out there and figure things out for themselves, like a Chigusa Nagayo, who was arguably the biggest star in Japan at, at her at her peak in wrestling, and she had to she had to go figure things out because once she turned twenty six, I was like, all right, well, you're done wrestling. I was like, well, fuck, I don't want to stop wrestling. This is all I've done for my for my for my adult life so far. Yeah, and so if you, if you allow me to just go on like a diatribe Please. and derail the show, so is this. When you learn about it, it's very wild to think about because even to this day, compulsory education in Japan is only until middle school. You are not required to go to high school. And high school did not become more popular for young students until after World War II. 
after the mid-70s, you see a very rapid increase in high school enrollment. So for a lot of the women in the early days of Joshi wrestling, even into the 70s, they're not going to high school. Like the reason why so many of those wrestlers are so young and the reason why they have such crazy hair because Japanese schools have such rigid like code of conduct in regards to how you present yourself because they're straight up not in school anymore. They graduated middle school, auditioned for AJW, and they're working. And then when you're 26, you're not allowed to wrestle anymore. So you now have left a very niche physical career, which is not normal for women of Japanese society, and you don't have a high school diploma. So your only option is to either get a GED or you get married and start having kids because your job options are not you do not have a lot of job options, which I think is why so many Joshi wrestlers went and opened bars. Like, Chiyo Obata opened a bar back when she retired in the early 80s, late 70s. Maki Ueda eventually opened a bar herself. It's like, a lot of those early pioneers of wrestling don't, did not have high school educations. So their only path for a job was wrestling. And that got ripped away from them when they turned 26. And that didn't change until 1986 when JWP opened. You had all these old AJW wrestlers come in because this is the only training they know. This is the only job they know how to do. And they don't want to just become housewives. Especially, especially trying to become like a housewife at 26, too. Like, that, like, that, like, that's, like that's a big part of it. Like... You know, like, like every, other cultures have um, have the way have the way of doing things. And you're talking about not that middle that high school not being required and it being a choice after middle school. Like, yeah, like you then come back after doing uh, what nine, ten years of wrestling if you started at sixteen, and then like, all right, I want to be a housewife now. And it's like, eh. like <laughs> in some places, in, in some places, you like missed that window. Sadly, yeah, they created the age twenty six because that was the end point of appropriate marriage age. After that, you became old. Because again, Takura Zuka Review used to have an age rule in the very late stages before the World War, but they didn't last long because the actresses held back against organizations said no like again this also relates to wrestlers who will never form a union because they're not smart enough <laughs> Takarazuka is the fucking theater company but the actresses work together understand their collective power and make changes for themselves against the office and the office says yeah okay cool like in 1974 so there was a there's a really bad school culture from the Takarazuka Music School where you would have specific days where the juniors would have to stand and bow to the seniors and the seniors would just list off all of the things you did wrong against the rules. And in 1974, the junior class said no and they all literally ran out of the school. And so the teachers and seniors were just left like, well, no one's ever done this before, what do we do? But the juniors realized their collective power and they made a change in the school culture. Wrestlers, for some reason, can't get that through their brains that they have collective power over promoters. No, but no, but you see, if I form a union, they won't book me anymore. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh. And, then, and then the one person that wanted to start a union is then is also uh, an abuser and rapist. So. Yeah, the, the fact <laughs> that fucking theater kids can figure it out, but wrestlers can't, is a real <laughs> indictment on the sport of wrestling. I, well, like wrestlers are real. Wrestlers are really like are like the last stage of theater kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
like, so, so, so it's, it's even more damning that like guy like come on like you, you you're, you're right there you could figure it out i saw the uh, nick diaz talking shit about how much like you know get paid and all this stuff and i was like that's that's the fucking guy like if anyone's gonna get combat sports people to form a union it's like a dirtbag like nick diaz that's gonna explain to them in like the the just scuzziest possible way <laughs> to like uh, to the, actually the diaz brothers form, form forming a union and rubbing shoulders with like leftist is like the best possible time it's the only it's the only thing that'll ever happen because they're the only guys that the other fucking fighters and wrestlers will listen to are guys like that like you know because they're the fucking like the joe rogan style like smart dumb guys or dumb smart guys however you want to put it where it's just like they smoke a bunch of weed and are just like you know could you imagine like the government should be paying for your dental insurance dude like the, those are the guys <laughs> Have the Diaz's ever done the Rogan podcast? Not that I ever listened to the Rogan podcast. Not that I know of, but, but I could, but I can imagine that just being full of. I know, I know, I know, I know. But has anyone ever taken a picture from space? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, oh, do we re- do we really know that the Earth is round? <laughs> Who like? Come on. Have you ever thought about you can't touch your right elbow with your right hand? <laughs> this is i mean this is very true yeah think oh, about man. it like you can't it's not <sighs> joe Ro- joe rogan and the diaz is discussing why humans body work the way they do why can't, <laughs> yeah, exactly. why can't i just take my why can't i just take my right hand off and just place it in my elbow? <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> uh, all right um there's a three-way tag team match here it's like a, a Parejas Increíble, um, kind of. It's like a, like a mix-up uh, tag. They pulled straws. Yeah. Um, I really liked this just for like kind of the goofiness and the interactions. Um, they're solid work. I like Azumi and Natsupoi, like as a team because it's like they're usually more rivals. Same with Julia and Tom Nakano, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, they've been, they been coming off that big feud and the big match at Yokohama. Yeah, so I kind of like that vibe and a lot of, like, yeah, just, like, goofy stuff. The posing on the rope thing I thought was funny because it's just, like, they're all getting so caught up in what's going on that they're confused even who their partners are, you know, at times. Like, who's my partner? Who's my stable mate? What's going on? So I, I thought that there was a lot of, like, fun action for that going on in here. I really enjoyed the match. Um, but you know, I could definitely see some people like just thinking it's just like goofy gimmick stuff. But for me, it's like, you know, th- that cliche that people love to say about the circus and you need, you know, all the different things or whatever. Like this is just like kind of fun, lighthearted thing that, uh, but still had solid work. Everyone in it was really good, but it's just a lot of personality. Nothing that was like too like kayfabe breaking because of the context of what's going on. Um, so just, yeah, just a lot of like back and forth and, and goofiness that I, I appreciated um, and especially after like opening up with the two tournament matches, something that gives you a little bit of a breath of, uh, of fresh air from that. Um, Alex, what did you think about this? This was definitely the most fun match for me. Like you said, like you understood everyone's allegiances, their character, their personalities. And it was really fun in the moments where everyone was getting caught up in the action and they were actually working with their tag partner and they go for a kick and then they realize, oh wait, no, that's my actual partner. I can't do that to her. Or sometimes you just try to stop and then you just accidentally hit your friend. And you're like, oh no. And then either your friend's like, oh, don't worry. I understand. We're all in a match. It's totally understandable. Or like, what the fuck? Yeah. 
yeah, there was a there was a lot of fun when it came to that personality stuff. Quentin, what did you think of this one? Um, same same thing. This like maybe probably the, definitely the most fun match on the show. I loved watch seeing Momo uh, get into it and how serious Momo usually is, and her getting goaded into the dancing by uh by me by Mina was funny just to see Momo get cut off and and uh, pumped off the apron. I thought I thought it was funny, but my, my favorite dynamic here was obviously Julia and Tam. Uh, knowing their history, how intense their history has been, and just coming off of them literally fucking headbutting each other, yeah, in Yokohama to see them doing this, it's cool, and I and I and I like seeing the the stuff AZM um, AZM and uh, and, and not supported. This is this is super fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then we get a uh, big uh, what is it? Eight person? No, ten person elimination. Um, Oedo Tai versus uh, is it Rig Rin? Uh, Kadokura, close enough. Oh yeah, Ren Kadokura. Yeah, um, a lot of action here. Uh, Quentin, what did you think of this one? Um, out of context, the person that took the fall or, or the or the final fall in this match had to join the had to join the opposing unit. Uh, um, was that it? Because it was Starlight Kid. Did did she lose her mask also? No, no, she didn't lose her mask. I, I thought they were about to rip her mask off when they had when they had her. I thought they were about to rip her mask off. Yeah, but no, she just she just, she just had to join um, um, Edotai. Well, even the post match, um, um, like the post commentary on the end post match of the main event, it seemed like the commentary mentioned like that she lost her mask. So either way, really, she yeah, might yeah, have I to thought. change it to be more evil. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you might like change the mask, but. Um, to be totally honest, I'm not. I wasn't super invested in this. Uh, Itotai, I I've just never been the biggest fan of. Going back to any era 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 of it, it's just not been my thing. Konami, I enjoy a lot. I like Death Yamasan. I um, I guess Torres. I guess Torres okay, but I've just never been a big Itotai fan. But as a collective, when they're in a situation like this, and it's not the one-on-one scenarios, because I feel like something like Saki Kashima, like when she's in the one-on-one scenario, like it's just not good. When they get to be together as a unit and play off of each other and the chemistry they have, I feel like it's a little bit better. But I enjoy this for what it was. I know for some people, if you're more into the story um, uh, that was being built up, that this might have been the fa- the, your, your favorite match on the show, possibly. But uh, this was only, this was fine for me. I liked... I liked um, the fine the final uh was Starlight Kid and the shock that uh that Starlight Kid was the one that had to uh take that fall and join the unit. Starlight Kid is probably my like I love I love Mayu. She's great. She's probably the best she's the best wrestler on the roster. But Starlight Kid is my favorite wrestler in stardom. And to see her in that spot and have to uh and be the one taking the fall, that that part and coming to the realization that oh shit, Starlight Kid is here and she might be the one to take the fall, that reeled me in by the end. But I wasn't super invested in this. Yeah, that's fair. And I know Jay, former uh, guest of the podcast, he said that this was his favorite match on the show, and that would make sense because uh, because he does get all the background and all the, the character stuff and maybe is more invested in that. So it makes sense. And I did misspeak because I only mentioned one person on the other team. The other team is the Stars unit. Um, oh, yeah, you yeah. the Stars. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Alex, what did you think of this one? So... Like, honesty time, I think Oedotai is the most boring thing in stardom right now. 
I used to be a fan of them way back in the day when it was Kyoko Kimura, Chris Wolf, one or two foreigners. I liked the way to tie then. But now it's all aesthetic. There's no substance. And it sucks because there are wrestlers that I like in Oedo Tai, like Kaori Yonayama. Her gimmick name is Fukigen Death in Oedo Tai. Konami, I really like. I don't get Nasuko Tora and what's her name? Saki Kashima. I want to like them, but I just get nothing. Saki's really bad. <laughs> yeah, and it like I wish I could enjoy Oedo Tai because, like I said, they have a look. It's a cool look, but then it just falls apart after that. And Konami can wrestle. Kaori Yonayama is a really good wrestler, a longtime veteran. Nasuka Tora can wrestle. But I'm like, they don't do anything really bad. And I want that. Maybe because I've been watching too much old Joshi, it's like, fucking break something. Like, don't just untie a corner cushion. Like, Break a rope, break a chair, do something actually bad. Don't just put on some dark makeup, put some fucking bronzer on. It's like, look at us, we're a way to tie. You gotta do something. It's, it's they're just boring. Yeah, they have, they have that kind of problem that like Dragon Gate heel units kind of run into, and even Dragon Gate heel units they'll do heelish shit every time. Red is in a is in a is in a multi-person match they jump the, they jump the team all the time like at least they do shit like that you'll get the powder and other and other stuff but way is like yeah it's like what really is it other than they're just goth <laughs> like they don't even use miss in a do they no i don't know like don't. <laughs> that's super simple so many people in joshi wrestling use miss and a way doesn't even do that like come on I'm not saying you need to get, you know, your whole forks and candlesticks, but I want them to do something to warrant their reputation as the bad guys of stardom because they don't do anything. I mean, They're, are they still really the bad guys, though? They dress in dark colors so by default. <laughs> I as we all know, in the idol world, if you dress bright, you're good and pure. If you dress in dark colors, you're a baddie. That, I mean, that is obviously true. But yeah, it just seems very much like similar to like the Bullet Club thing. It, it's a unit that became super popular as you know being, I guess, heels, and then to the point where they're not really heels anymore. Um, so it's just like it's run its course, really. I mean, it, it probably really shouldn't has. exist anymore. Um, like, but yeah, especially considering the strong connection Oedo Tai at one point had to both Kyoko. Kimura and Hana Kimura, the fact that neither of them are involved with it anymore. No one from any previous generation of Weight of Tai is involved even, with even, it. Even, even, even Kagetsu. Yeah, like, when Kagetsu was there, Weight of Tai was doing evil stuff. They were actually doing bad people things. They don't do any of that stuff now. They made Fuki again sad. That's the worst thing they've done in the past <laughs> two years. We'll uh, we'll see what they do with Starlight Kid because I guess corrupting like a, a a pure being might help, but I think it'll just be goofy. It's not really gonna add any yeah. depth of evil to the characters. Wait, um, what's gonna happen? Starlight Kid's mask is gonna go from white and yellow to wait for it, purple and silver, maybe <laughs> some black. 
I, 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 like the, I like the way you're thinking. Yeah. yeah, we can write that down. And then we're going to release t-shirts with their new mask design, and we're going to sell those. Rossi, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't own enough Gucci <laughs> for Rossi Ogawa. <laughs> Uh, hopefully they'll just make Starlight Kid. Uh, her mask will be a replica of Mad Polly's uh, face paint, and her gear will be a replica of his gear. And basically, she'll just be Mad what if, Polly. What, what if they just What if they just brought in Mad Polly and just said that that that, that would be perfect? Actually, <laughs> that's what I want now. That, that decided that's it. Yeah, they could try. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's interesting because I remember forever it feels like at this point starlight kid is this like rookie who's going to like become a big thing and break out and be huge and it seems like so many other people have like stepped up and fulfilled on something like her, you know and she hasn't her, she's been wrestling for like her five pushes years have, already her her pushes have been very stop star yeah like yeah it's weird you can go back to like 2016 and she's in matches that i really that i really enjoy but then that stopped for some reason and then under the Bushy Road banner, then they started pushing her again. It is strange. Well, I don't know. I don't know what happened. So to be fair, unlike in the past, she was actually in high school, and she recently graduated high school, I believe, within the last year. So maybe okay. now that she doesn't have a school schedule, they can actually keep a push. Okay. Yeah, that would make sense. And something like this might be good to like finally, I guess, focus and do that. Like, move forward on something serious with her because yeah i mean she's been pigeonholed as one thing she's like the plucky underdog rookie who's like all bubbly and and baby face and maybe uh having a heel turn and i mean honestly the most interesting thing that they could do is have her join oeta tai and not have that they corrupt her but that she becomes like the most evil and the leader of the group de facto by being the worst like that's something I think that would be more interesting and you could actually add some more teeth to the to the faction by having something like that um, and then actually you know but it depends on if she can execute it but at least it would be something because yeah like I said she's been like to me all I've ever heard is oh Starlight Kid has so much potential she's going to be a huge star and it's been like five years of that and then not much to show for it but if she it has been in high school the whole time maybe that's why but we'll see i have an update okay. i'm sorry to bring this guy to, to your attention guys <laughs> no mm-hmm. no like this candace owens tweeted earlier today oh <laughs> no this is nope. bad juneteenth is so lame democrats really need to stop trying to repackage segregation i will be celebrating july 4th and july 4th only i'm american with the american flag emoji <sighs> how do you they there should be a word for like. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring that to your attention. Yeah, there needs to be a word for when people are right for the wrong reason, because that is like the epitome of that right there. Like yes, Juneteenth that's, is kind of lame. Epitome of like, that's epitome of like Candace Owens. Like, <laughs> for sure, that is her brand. Yeah. God damn. God. I didn't need that. No. Uh. <laughs> anyway, Sai Kawatani versus. So, anyways, Mike we're an American <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> the finals of the Cinderella tournament. Uh, Alex, what, Alex, what are your thoughts on Eidos? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's let's talk about the fucking LDP party. Let's go. <laughs> you want me to talk about Hiroshi Hase? I can fucking talk about Hiroshi Hase. 
You seem like you have a smoke for a Hiroshi Hatsune. No, I hate that man. I <laughs> fucking hate Hiroshi Hase. Like, the only reason he didn't show up on that Noah show last year was because fucking Shinzo Abe had to step down for prime minister because of his health condition. Otherwise, they would have had this transphobic, sexist man, a misogynist yeah. on the Noah show. And also, look, also, also murderer. Also a murderer. Don't forget that part. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so it was like. I understand. It's wrestling. And a lot of Japanese wrestlers who go on politics, the majority of them have represented the LDP. And Tony Inoki is one of the few who is not represented for the LDP. Everyone's favorite, Onita, ran with the LDP. So, fuck him. Unfortunately, one of my faves, Shinobu Kandori, ran and made it to the diet for the LDP. So, fortunately, oh, fuck her. But you, know, but you know, like, when I think of Shinobu Kandori, that doesn't shock me. <laughs> no. It doesn't at all. And it just makes me think of a former manager I had at a restaurant because we had this chick who was transphobic and we were all, it was a super LGBT friendly restaurant and we we're like, we need to kick her out. And the manager's like, how are you going to be transphobic? We look like such a dyke. And like, Shinobu Kandori, how are you going to represent that party when you look like that? I don't know her personally, but like her nickname is Mr. Joshi Pro Wrestling. Like... <laughs> I I mean, oh yeah, that's one of her nicknames, Mr. Joshi Pro Wrestling, and I'm like, you can't just be looking around you in all these locker rooms, all these shows, and see all these people, and not think that, you know, some of these women might actually be gay, but I'm going to run for the super conservative party that is homophobic, transphobic, misogynistic. (sighs) Anyway, it's Oni is not LDP, so we respect him for that. Did okay? Did uh, no. Sasuke <laughs> run independent, or what party? Did no. Sasuke run? So Sasuke ran for a center left party that uh, it had Democratic in the name, but it was like the American Democratic Party, like okay. center left. But that makes you kind of he, a little bit to the right when it comes to like. Oh no, actually, I'm thinking of like European countries. Anyways. Yeah, but Sasuke has been going right. As of the last couple of of years, unfortunately, of course. But yeah, it's a Yunoki, I respect for not being in the ODP. He ran as independent. It's always funny when you think like, you know, that that saying where they're like, if you're not a Democrat when you're whatever, you're, you know, you have no heart. If you're not a Republican when you're like, you know, 50, then you have no brain. It's always like, do you guys ever think about the fact that like as you get older there's such a thing as cognitive decline? You're basically saying that you become more right wing and more conservative as your brain gets worse. <laughs> yeah. Do you Wrestling not realize that's it. A fuck- yeah. It's a fucking self-own. It's like as your brain gets knocked around and you get dumber, you like are more reactionary and right wing. I wonder why. Yeah, like yeah. Hiroshi Hase, like they brought it to the Supreme Court about getting rid of the restriction that a transgender person has to get genital surgery to correlate with the gender they want to be identified as by the government. And Hiroshi Hase dead ass was like, you're going to confuse the children. And I'm like, dude, oh, shut the oh, fuck yeah. up. Jeez. Shut the fuck <laughs> up, dude. Man, gotta, gotta love our, uh, ch- what ha- our, 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 imperi- our imperial allies. Yeah, like, so what happens when a child's like, hey, why'd you kill my classmate in the dojo? Isn't that confusing for the children? 
<laughs> yeah. I wish Dad, I could. Why are they, Dad, why are they saying that you killed somebody? <laughs> hey, they're uh, saying your friend Kisuke Sasaki killed a kid. Is that true? Yeah. And you just watched it all happen. Well, I mean, fuck. Isn't the rumor kind of that he was more involved than than even Sasaki, but Sasaki took the heat because of Hase possibly having a political future? I would totally believe I've that. I've heard that story before. Because I don't Hase... know is like really high up and he's a full-blown politician he's way up he's in cabinets he's past the diet he's in cabinets yeah so i would totally believe that they put it on sasaki so that hiroshi hase could get back to his political career yeah so hey who knows you know i wasn't there i don't know (laughs) i don't know yeah sasaki having such a political such a successful political career it was like the equivalent of if like fucking, I don't know, like 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 Ken Anderson or some shit went on went on to be like an <laughs> right. actual senator. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's so weird to think that he had like a he has a legitimate political career. If you like, Google like, him on American Google, he comes up as a Japanese politician, not a wrestler. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, like it's no go ahead. No, I was gonna say like like I said, he's not even in the diet anymore. He's in cabinets. Yeah, so he's he's at the he's in the inner circle. He's in the circle of influence. Yeah, and Jesus like I said, the Christ. only reason he wasn't at that Noah show last year was because Shinzo Abe had to resign as prime minister, so he had to go to Tokyo and decide who they were going to vote in as the new prime minister. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> With the with the the confusing the kids thing, and I I wish I could remember where I heard this because I picked it up from somewhere. But the best line I've ever heard of the like, you know, how am I going to explain this to your kids? Is like, I don't give a fuck. Kill your kids. Like if you don't want to have a conversation with your kid, don't have one. Because that's the fucking point. Like you have to deal with talking to your kids. Yeah, imagine having to talk. Like, it's like really just like imagine having to talk to your kid. Uh. Yeah, how like, am I going to explain who the fuck anything? Does to that? Yeah. What if you my kid has your... bad vibes? <laughs> yeah. This kid total fucked vibes. Um yeah. like, like what's the point of like what's the point of having a kid if you don't want to explain something to your kid? Imagine it's explaining like, like, hey, no, like, hey, like hey like hey like hey hey daddy, how do birds fly? I don't know, go read a fucking book. <laughs> yeah. Like, well imagine damn. how d- difficult it is explaining to your kid about shitting. Like <laughs> it's a weird process. It's fucking confusing, but it's it like is, normal yeah. and you have to tell them. But it's gross and it's weird. But it's like, oh, okay, you have to explain that to them. Why, like, yeah? Why is explaining anything else that much harder? And they wrote a whole children's book about pooping. Yeah, I exactly. remember reading it as a kid. That's true. That's so, true. Like, like nothing will be better until we get until we get more gay children's books. This is true. Uh, and Roshi Hase right. would be mad about it. Yeah. Uh, well, wrote. <laughs> Hirose Hase does resemble uh, one of the things that would be involved in the uh, the Everybody Poops book, but we will not say which part. Um, <laughs> did we finish talking about the Cinderella tournament final match here? We did, no. We did not start it. We didn't we start it at all. started. Okay. Um, I thought it kicked ass. Um, I thought that uh, Meika was like really, really good, especially the selling the leg second match of the night. Um, but then also still like having insane determination and fighting super hard, um, but then not being like uh, like necessarily the underdog because she was still working kind of powerhouse because 
Kamatani is like more of a high flyer. So it was a really, really layered and like difficult role to play, and she did a great job uh, fulfilling every part of it, like selling, but being more of a powerhouse, having weakness, and then yeah, like being in control, basing, like yeah, I thought that she did a phenomenal job here. Um, Kamatani was like insanely fiery, but uh, she was very good, and I probably overlook her performance just because. She didn't have as much depth because she didn't have, like, the injury to play off of selling as well. Um, so, yeah, that just kind of made her performance very good, but it just didn't have the same depth. But um, I guess whoever... Alex, what did you think? I've been mulling around if this was my favorite match of the night or not, but when I'm thinking about it, I think this is my favorite match because in the 15 minutes of it, I can't say anything was like boring or I fell asleep or any of that. Like, Saya Kamatani and Micah is definitely a rivalry I want to see happen in the future when Kamatani gets more things clicking and she can bring that high flying style more concretely together. Because, like you said, Micah came in with the history of the knee injury that got worked in the previous round. She came in here. And then Kamatani, I like how she fires up. Like, her doing the it's not a phoenix splash she doesn't do phoenix splash right what's her big top rope move she did, she did the phoenix splash okay yeah. cool yeah like i really it's not pretty it's not the prettiest it's not the most spectacular but i like what she does with the phoenix splash because it gets the crowd into it and i feel like the top two matches were probably robbed the most from the crowd not being able to vocalize because i feel like this match would have really hyped the crowd up because Micah coming in, like, physically she's probably stronger than Kamatani. And if she had a healthy knee, she might have just bossed Saya around and just easily won. But with the knee injury, you get that intrigue. And it's like, Kamatani might be able to win this. She might be able to, you know, float around and do whatever and beat Kamatani because she can't root herself. Or sorry, she could beat Micah because Micah can't root herself because she has a bad knee. But... Yeah, and also only 15 minutes, so that automatically makes this a great match. Everything yes. mattered, and this is a lost art for any Bushi Road product, but have shorter matches, but everything mattered. That makes the match really good. This, I mean, it didn't feel only 15 minutes. It felt longer. Yeah. Like, in a good way. <laughs> you know, not in the in a bad way, but it felt like it was an epic match that was like... Like definitely a lot happened. Uh, Quentin, what do yeah. you think? Yeah, this is this is the best match on the show. Um, this is a match that I meant where, yeah, Saya has been a rough, has been rough around the edges a couple of times. Maybe she hasn't been ready for super big spots, but she was great in this. She was great in this. I know that Micah is is more of the surprise because Micah has never shown uh, anything uh, has done anything that's good in her career so far. She's never had a performance as good in her career so far, so she's more than surprised. But Sai was great here. I loved Sai's attacks to the leg. Might not have been as fleshed out and as thought out as some people might have liked and uh, you know, being more sticklers when it comes to limb work, but I thought Sai was, was doing good limb work for uh, for what for what she was good at right now and there was drama there was drama down the stretch to it and it played off a big dynamic of like, you know, the wound the wounded uh bigger wrestler fighting the uh, smaller, faster flying one. And I thought that they played up that dynamic good, um, especially adding in that added advantage of um, 
for Saya of Micah having having the knee trouble. And I love the finish. I think what we I think we've seen Saya miss a missed a Phoenix Splash a few times in big spots. So I so I loved seeing so I love seeing her hit it here, uh, and get and get and get and get the victory with it. I'm pretty and get the victory with it. I'm pretty sure. Um, if this is gonna lead to another Saya versus um, Utami match, they were good on Yokohama. I, I think I liked that more match more than a lot of, than a lot of other people did. Then I think it'll be good, but the fe my fear is you know we're gonna sit there and go to a 60 minute draw based off of how this match went uh, with Utami versus Siori. But this I thought this was the best match of the night. Yeah, I can't uh, can't argue with you on that. Um... I think it was definitely the best match of the night. Um, just on top of everything, just the fact that it was... It was compact. You know, like, the main event was good, but it was just... It was just too long. And I did really like the three-way tag, and I talked about it, like, we talk about the, the brevity and, and, and it being, like, fun um, and bouncy, kind of. But there is, like, a lot of goofiness, so it's hard to, like, say, like, oh, you know, that's definitely the match of the night, whatever. I totally get why, like, other people may not agree with agree with that because it's not like your standard like wrestling match but i honestly thought that for what it was it was executed so well that i'm like kind of debate back and forth between which one was better um you know that said um this was yeah phenomenal she does win with the phoenix splash and yeah like alex said you know it's it's not the best looking phoenix splash not everybody can be seth rollins you know not everybody can have uh, just the most amazing picture perfect uh, phoenix splash um shout out to simon um, <laughs> either way, uh, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought that it was executed super well. One qu one thing, like, the way that this was presented and the way that everything came across, I mean, the Cinderella tournament is historically, like, a, like, kind of more of a rookie tournament, or, like, for something for, like, younger wrestlers, or is it just, like, a, like, a big deal tournament and you get a title shot? No, it's not, it's not, it's not always a big deal. I think, like, the Grand Prix it's typically more where you see like the bigger title match come out of this and then Cinderella like you might get something like I, I think I think a Mayu versus EO title match came yeah from Mayu won the Cinderella and she her wish was to face EO okay yeah and uh, but but like but like you don't get stuff like that all the time it is right. usually like mid-card wrestlers winning the Cinderella and then challenging for a title and, and then granted at the time like if that's like I think that's the tour of the May 2016 match. If that's if that's the case, then like by that point, like even though Mayu was part of Freedom and the Daughters of Stardom and all that kind of stuff, and she's getting, and she feels like she's on that level, like Mayu was still like ostensibly a mid Carter by that point. So like, that still kind of checks out for that. Okay, so it is more of a like lower. It's not necessarily expressly rookie, but it's not necessarily like main eventers. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well. Either way, I thought that the presentation here came across with the two matches and the main event here more like it was, like, it could be either way. It could be, like, a big-time, like, you know, crowning achievement of the promotion type of tournament or, or like, something that's, yeah, like, a rookie, newer wrestler kind of thing. So, you know, that's obviously praise to the, the wrestlers here because they, they made the value in, in the final match make it seem like it was a big deal to win the tournament. Um, just based on what they put themselves through to get here. Um, main event, World of Stardom, the red belt, I guess. that That's one thing, too, that's, like, difficult for me to understand. So Stardom has, you know, the, I guess, what, the white belt and the red belt, and it's not, to me, it's not, like, expressly and easily 
like explained the hierarchy of the belts so the white belt and the red belt are modeled after the red title from AGW and the off pacific title from AGW so the red belt in AGW was the top crown and the off pacific title was the number two belt okay well that's like the the symbolism and the history but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's necessarily the exact same levels now like the white belt sometimes feels like it's more important than the red belt or you know at least to me at times like i, I think i think i think you could argue from like that stretch from e from eo to momo to arissa uh and i forgot i forgot who won it after arissa but like that stretch like you can argue like yeah like i think the white i think the white belt might be the bigger belt yeah so there is to me it's like it's not historically been as clear and i mean that's fine you know like it's not everything has to be that like expressly stated like things can ebb and flow based on what's going on and i honestly think that it's pretty interesting to do stuff like that you can do dynamic interesting interesting storytelling one match i saw someone and they were like asking about matches where it's like a um a smaller heel versus a bigger baby face and one match that uh, came to mind to me was uh, Sammy Guevara versus Keith Lee uh, that they did in um, I think VIP or no yeah I don't think it was VIP either way it was a Texas promotion and it was um, a promotion that had two different championships and each guy had a belt and one of them had like the belt that was considered the least important at the time I think Keith Lee had the least important as far as it was concerned belt but up until that point because he was the big and powerful baby face who fought cleanly and was you know limitless and impressive and all that stuff he made that belt seem more prestigious and actually it was the prestige title so that should remind me which promotion it was more easily but inspire? i still can't. I think it was inspire yeah because there was the inspire title and there was the prestige title and he had the prestige title and sammy had the inspire title and it was like this big deal about the fact that he had made the you know the prestige titles feel more important and then you get to the big match and it's like oh yeah this guy has the smaller belt but he feels like the bigger star and you can do interesting stuff like that right when you just it's not like things can ebb and flow based on who holds them so yeah like just that little diatribe i think that like it's interesting but it does it can become confusing when you don't pay as much attention um to a promotion to be like, okay, what the fuck is the hierarchy? Especially because Stardom has a ton of titles at this point. They like, have It's not many. just the red and white. Yeah. You have the red t- belt, the white belt, you have the SWA belt, they have the high-speed title, you have their tag championships, and then you have their trios championships. Is that it? I do believe so. Okay. So yeah, so they just have a lot of titles floating around and it's like it does become confusing when you have a bunch of titles and you don't have any of them really defined because like the high speed title is like theoretically a cruiserweight title but it doesn't have like any actual limits or parameters so like yeah either way main event red belt so this should be technically the top championship of the company um sayuri versus utami Hayashida? Hayash, I'm messing that last name up. It, her, her name is weird. It's, it's like her, yeah. like her name Hayashida. has like another syllable. Yeah, it has like another like <laughs> syllable to it. Yeah. It's like wait, like why? It, it, it is it's a, it's very deceptive. Yes, but 
but Alex did say it perfectly there. Um, Alex, what did you think of this match, other than long? So if they took the last five minutes of the original match time and then the added time, it would have been my favorite match of the night. It would have been great round 25 minutes, just drama all the way through. My first watch through, I did fall asleep in the first 15 minutes (laughs) and I woke up, I finished the match and I was like, I need to go back and see what I missed. And I didn't miss anything. And that's my biggest pet peeve with these grand epic matches is they just fill the time in the first 20 minutes to then get to the action and the drama. And I absolutely hate that. You can just start the drama when the bell starts. And if it's only a 12 minute match, okay, whatever. You had 12 minutes of action, drama, and emotions, and the audience will be ravished with that. But what? 43 minutes, double knockout. And I'm not mad about the double knockout, but getting there was exhausting. Yeah. That's a, I mean, realistically a very uh, astute kind of breakdown of of it. Um, I will say, like, before I... Before I even saw the match, I, did, I wasn't spoiled, I didn't know who won, but I did hear people saying, you know, five stars. I heard people say that it was the greatest Joshi match of all time. That's in bullshit, first of all. And then it's, not the best, it's not the best Joshi match in the last three months. No. <laughs> I heard someone say that, and then in the same breath say, but I haven't seen even every stardom match this year. Oh, great. <laughs> so I'm like, your opinion is just completely just dog shit. But this, people, is, this, is really, this is really off. People just really say off. whatever the fuck they want to say at this point, and that's the thing that makes it really difficult. Like, you know, because people just talk. They just don't, they don't have any basis of what they're saying. Um, like, I want to go off on that, but I'll wait until after we're done talking about the match, because... Ooh, people really do think they can just post whatever the fuck they want to post. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, you can, but it's just like, remember that like, this is going to make people never take you seriously. And I didn't, (laughs) I didn't know this, but I checked something that showed me that I had like something like over 500 accounts muted on Twitter. And I like looked back through it and I was like, who the fuck are these people? There were so many people. And it's like probably people who said one stupid thing. And I just was like, ah, fuck it. Mute this person. You know, because I'm just like, there was tons of them where I was like, I didn't even realize I had this person muted. Like, oh, fuck. I like, didn't mean to mute this person. But I would just like mute anybody for like one dumb thing. So I saw that the other day and I was like, oh, my God. So, yeah, like when you say something that stupid, just keep in mind that there's some people who are now going to write you off forever. Um, because that's a really goofy thing to say. Giving this match five stars is fucking insane. It's like basically just admitting that all you do is look at the match runtime and then you base your star ratings on that. Um, that said, I don't a hundred percent disagree with you about the opening 15 minutes, but like I'm a fucking mark for legitimate background. So to me, like Shuri's opening mat work is like intriguing because I, I like like a lot of her transitions a lot of her like like going from hold to hold the way that she like like went for unique like grappling positions and transfers stuff like that was like really intriguing to me 
But it was kind of lazy when her opponent, like, basically all she did was just, like, be strong and break things up. And it's like, okay, like, that's just the level that, like, uh, Utami is at as a worker. She's not necessarily going to, like, match her hold for hold. So I could definitely see not, like, being invested or caring about it because it's like one side is giving you a ton and the other side is not giving you much. Um, But I still am, like, into it. But then, yeah, at some point they decided, like, we got to go to the floor and we got to start making this shit epic with big, just big moves and not, not even moves, like a couple big spots here and there. And then primarily like lazy striking some like indiscriminate leg midsection work that you can't even really tell what the focus is. And it's like that stuff just like, to me starts turning into like, what are you doing? And especially when none of it plays into anything, it's like, you're just kind of doing stuff. Um, because at the end of it, when you're playing off of, like, this major fatigue, big strikes, back and forth, we're both so worn out, it's kind of like, well, like, what was that, like, weird legwork stuff that had nothing to do with anything? Like, so yeah, there's just, like, a middle, there's a gigantic middle chunk of this match that's just, like, insanely annoying. And then, again, there's the finish. Um, the very, like, last five minutes of the main match is, or, is awesome, and then the overtime is great. It's like, that should have been most of the match but i as i said i think that there was i was into the beginning just because of the sayuri i was like into what was going on there um so like like from what she's doing i'm just like i'm watching her and i'm like goddamn like she deserves to be wrestling against much better opponents um i would love to see her like show up on one of those blood sports shows you know like there's definitely a ton of interesting matchups for her in like a shoot style setting um so yeah that was like kind of that was kind of the, the takeaway from that. Um, I guess this match, <laughs> I've been thinking about it because something had popped in my head and I forgot it. I can't remember what the comparison was, but it, it, it still applies to this match as well as like the, um, the Simpsons like kind of paradox, which is like the Simpsons were really good for a lot of seasons, but now at this point they have more bad seasons than good seasons. So you just have to admit that it's a bad show. This match has more bad minutes than good minutes, so you just have to accept that this is a bad match. Um, Quentin, what did you think? Yeah, this is a confusing match. It's a match that has not catered to what either of them are good at or best at. We're talking about Utami, a wrestler that's been in the business for, you know, two years, maybe. Training for three, if you want to give her that. And we're talking about Siori, who's never done anything like this before, who has never gone this long in any capacity, um, has never been someone that works matches this long. I've, I've seen her work important stuff. I've seen her work, work versus Monica, and I've seen her get title shots before, but not going 43 minutes. I've never, I've never seen that. And it's just a weird decision to go that to go that long when neither of their skill sets are um cater to, to to doing that and i think that, that that's the thing that's frustrating here is i understand that you want to build utami up and i understand that doing a long match builds buzz that's just how it works we saw with the wheeler yuda lee moriarty match that going 40 minutes or 50 whatever the, whatever they want can help can, can help get some buzz we've we've seen that before i just don't think that this at all was very productive or helpful to um to either of them it doesn't help sorry i guess i don't know maybe i'm speaking from the minority here because it has a positive rating on cage match a very positive one at that a lot of people seem to love it but 
I just don't understand why this match was even laid out the way it was, why this idea even happened. I don't know why you just don't do a 25-minute match with Siori just kicking the shit out of Utami, and Utami being big and strong and, 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 and overcoming that. That caters to both of them, and that solves the problem here. I'm not sure if this was meant to establish Siori as a bigger potential title threat. I don't, I don't really understand. This is a match that is baffling to me on so many levels. Yeah, it feels, it feels like the Bushi Road, like special. This is trying, you're trying to use this situation to create like an epic rivalry out of nothing. Um, when there's not a ton of background, there's not a ton of investment, and there's no real stakes other than the championship between them, and you use this match and the little bit of like interplay with the with the like mid-match promos to try to say like, oh, these this is an epic rivalry between these two, but like it just felt very forced, and as you said, you like didn't really give me like the the reason why like I would buy into it, and. I mean, maybe the point is that they're really trying to pump up uh, Utami, and they're using this as a way to really build up Sayuri as, like, a very, very credible challenger. But uh, but it was just not the best execution. But, uh, Alex, you had some, some, some ancillary thoughts there about <laughs> people saying things? Oh, for that, I just want to say, so Siri's shoot background is kickboxing and MMA. So in an ideal world, she should have just gone out guns blazing with just kicks. And like you said, with the mat work, because that was she legitimately did in Pancrase. But no, we got a huge long epic, which Quinn says she's never really done before. And if this was Julia and Tam, I'd be more forgiving because we have that background knowledge. And they have that history that if they went to a double KO, I would understand that. Because, yeah, I feel like those two would want to just fight each other until the end. But Utami and Siri, I don't have that. And I'm not sure exactly why Siri brought up her mother recently passing away in the promo. How that worked into the story. I just feel like that wasn't paid off for as emotional that was for Siri. If, if, that, if that was the case, then, like, Siri... Like- if you wanted to like tug at the heartstrings and Siori should have lost and it been like a big emotional thing like she felt like she was a letdown or something like that. Like a double knockout, a draw, going to time limit doesn't that doesn't really do that. Yeah, it's like why would you bring up her recently deceased mother for this? Yeah. Well no, it is. It is exactly what I said. It's like it's just trying to like prepackage, it's like forcing this epic rivalry, so you're just like tugging at whatever heartstrings you can to try to add extra emotion when there's none there. Yeah, like I said, if it was really a Tam, I would have been bought in way more because they already have that rivalry that, like I said before, I would totally believe that they would just go until neither could stand up anymore. But I can't buy it with these two. And I don't know if I could buy that with anyone else in the company right now because Nasuko Tora challenged Utami and I'm not looking forward to that at all. No, that's, that's no. crazy. God, Helito Tai is going to be at ringside and it's going to be shenanigans and I'm going to hate everything, but everyone's going to gif and say how great it is and oh my gosh, Helito Tai is at it again. I'm like, have y'all never seen LCO? They probably haven't. Like, LCO were those bitches. They actually did shit. The fuck's Helito Tai doing? LCO rules and it's like that's the thing is like you see like stuff like that and it's like 
uh, all right, like, I guess Utami's going to fight off interference. I'm just like, yeah, but then what if <laughs> what if Toro wins? It's like, oh, oh shit. No. God. <laughs> they can't no. do that. But, but, no, but, no, but here's the thing, right? If Utami's the pet project and Oedo Tai are the heel or de facto heels of the promotion... Do you really want Utami taking a clean loss as she's on her way making an ascension to being the solidified top woman in stardom? Do you want her taking a clean as a sheet L? So, I mean, do, so do you mean just to get the belt off, to get the red belt off of her? They do like so fuck some fuck shit with like, Oedo Tai? And then to have Utami chase the belt again? Yeah, because like think about it, like do you do they do you really see them letting just Utami just lose straight up to anybody in the foreseeable future? Unless she has like a big mega reign, this would be the time to have Utami drop it. If they weren't cowards, they would give her a big Jaguar Yakota reign of like four hundred days. Fucking do it. For the for the for the for the record, she's held she's held that belt now uh, for two hundred fifteen days. Do yeah, it. That's pandemic. Yeah, but still, no, keep it going. Don't be cowards. Just keep it going until we get people back in the stands, which at this point is probably March 2022 in Tokyo. Just have Otami just hold the belt. They're not going to lose yeah. audience. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it's a bad idea. I'm just like, uh, man, make, like it's kind of like the Drew McIntyre thing. I used to, I thought about going into uh, WrestleMania. Like, oh. They took the belt off of Drew McIntyre, so Drew McIntyre can win a belt in front of win it back in front of a crowd. I wonder if they might play some kind of long game here, where they want to have give Utami a big moment with people there. Is oh, sorry, this is a, a separate question. Is the future of Stardom Championship defunct? I haven't heard that name I... in years. It, it was last. It was last active when was it last active excuse well, the typing like the no, no well cage match has it listed it says it says it says no eat is, eat is a chance she well but no she, it says that she, she vacated it but she's in injured May. yeah okay 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 so yeah then like I, that's weird i'm i guess they might be waiting for Ida to come back yeah or maybe they are just going to quietly disappear it but i was just because we were talking earlier about how many championships are in the company and i was like oh this they have another title that's like relatively, like active. I forgot yeah. about it too. Wow. Either way. Yeah. Um, but okay, so Utami being the project and the and who they want to focus on, I do not get <laughs> at all. Like, I get Julia as much, even if like I've seen Alex is not the highest on Julia. Like from what I've even seen. if you don't like even even if you don't like Julia for how she went and jumped shit, you. Get it. Yeah, I like she has the, a like, look. The look, the she definitely has something there. She's not all look because she also she has a she has a presence and like straight up, like she's not a bad worker. Like no. she's good. She's had she's had good matches. Like the backlash from Julia comes from how okay, she like, the left. fact that like like how she left and the fact that like oh, okay, of course you're gonna come in and put and put and push the half white woman. Like right. of course like it like, comes from that. <laughs> well, but, no one would ever, no, no one would ever sit there and say like, "Oh, like Julia is a terrible worker." Like, no, 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 because like she was right. getting tag title shots in Ice Ribbon. Like Ice Ribbon liked her, but she wasn't pushed all the way to the top. Like she wasn't stardom because she was younger. Right. 
and they just kind of poached a young, big, a, a large sized light skinned uh, wrestler who was maybe not uh, as as talented as their push noted, but they just grabbed them and pushed them to the moon. That does not <laughs> sound Kiona. like. Well, I was going to say Okada. <laughs> That doesn't sound like something Bushi Road has ever done in the past, right? They have never poached a guy who's a, a standout, light-skinned wrestler who's bigger than everybody else around. You know, it's not, it's not a, a thing that they've done in the past. Um, it's kind of ironic you say light-skinned because she's kind of pre- she's presented as tan in the promo true. work in the cartoons. They present her as tan because you know she's part Italian. Italy has the Mediterranean coast. They eat. They have olive oil. They have tan skin in Italy. She's she's she she's hashtag foreign. Yes, right. she's hashtag just... not white. She's Italian, half Italian, not half white. Yeah, that's fair. I was I was really just it was just because Okada is so light. It was the only reason why I was even saying. Oh yeah, skin. Okada is a pale boy. Yeah, he's very pale. So that was the only point of that. That because yeah, she is Italian, and I was going to say like as the only white person. I love. I love. My favorite thing is like Italian Americans who like get offended when you call them white. It's my yeah. favorite shit. In the world. Oh it's God. the best. And the thing is, like yeah. in Italy, Italians don't identify as Italian unless the national team's playing. They identify as their town because. The concept of a unified Italy is a modern concept. Oh yeah, yeah, like that shit. Does, that shit does not exist. No, it's never you're existed. Roman. You're Milanese. You're from Verona. You're it's about what town you're from. It's not about fucking Italy. Yeah, you like, you fuck like, about Italy. Like, if, if, you're, if you're like really Italian, you said they like I'm like oh I'm Sicilian. Yeah, like, it's like oh no, my family's from Milan. Yeah. No, yeah, it's uh, but I mean that's just. Again, that's just like American hegemony. Like yeah, like oh my god, Irish Americans are the worst. I'm sorry, the absolute oh. worst. Because <laughs> like my mom's black, pa- but she qualifies for I'm- Irish citizenship. But people would never believe that because we're black, and yet we're oh, yeah. Catholic. We all have very Irish names because Catholics just name each other the same goddamn thing. <laughs> this is true. My um my uh, on my mom's side. My great my great grandmother is Irish, and um, the rest of my grandmother's siblings are all white. Um, I guess at some point my great grandmother uh, had an affair with um, with a black guy that owned a garage locally. She never told my grandmother that she was black, so my grandmother had huh. to figure out on her own that she was black, and had to deal with her uh, her pale Irish looking redhead siblings like calling like calling her calling her a nigger and everything and she was like she like yeah. it, like she never got told that her that her um that her dad was black and to her death um even like on her deathbed in my grandmother's apartment my great grandmother never admitted that she was black yeah <laughs> and she so was like... half black Never, never admitted it. She just had to find out on her own. Right. So, the crazy thing about my mom's hometown is the historically black Catholic church. It has the old sign. It's like this church was erected to serve the communities of the Negroes, the Cajuns, the Italians, the Irish, and the Germans. So, all these European immigrants were forced to go to this historically black church. And the records show that at one point, the congregation at was 
majority European whites at one point. But then when Jim Crow started, all the European whites started going and establishing their own Catholic churches. So the black Catholics in my mom's hometown were integrated with the white Europeans. So we are light-skinned and the black Baptists of this hometown, my mom's, are dark-skinned. And so a lot of the conflict between the light-skinned blacks and dark-skinned blacks comes down to religion because the Catholic ones are light-skinned and the Baptist ones are dark-skinned. And it still is a thing to this day. My grandmother was dark-skinned and she converted to Catholicism to marry my grandfather who was light-skinned. White passing, like people think he's white. My mom is not red as black. People think she's just racially ambiguous Latina. And people think I'm biracial. I'm like, no, it's complicated, but I'm not. And yeah, I have an Irish ancestor ancestor from Dublin. I, I, I don't I don't want to make this like the uh, like the light skin problem <laughs> podcast. Yeah, but <laughs> but like living a life where my dad is so much darker than me, and everyone thinking that I had to be adopted or that he wasn't my biological oh father. My God. Like I can't begin to tell you how much like psychological damage that did to me. It was like yeah, like everyone like Alex acknowledges and everyone else acknowledges. Like yeah, like. Every, like, look, we're like as light skinned people, we can't sit there and act like we face like the worst colorism <laughs> that is possible. But yeah, like imagine like going through your whole life and being like, oh yeah, like man, are you sure that's your dad? <laughs> that is, that's so fucking terrible. But yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Oh, it's like my personal thing is yes. At one point, the Italians and Irish were discriminated against to the point that they had to go to the black churches. But as soon as Jim Crow hit, you took mm-hmm. the hand of whiteness, and y'all don't get to play that card anymore. Because as I've noticed, formerly living in the Northeast, Irish Americans do not know Irish history, ancient or modern. The fact that I know more about Irish history than these people, <laughs> I know more about actual Irish food, because most of these people only know corned beef, potatoes, and hash, and like, seaweed soup. Google seaweed soup. Get back to me when you learn what a fucking seaweed soup is. It's a very Irish meal, but they don't know that. They just know what fucking America serves them. It's like no, no, ugh. no, no. But the no, but the potato famine. Yeah, exactly. The potato famine was manufactured by the crown to kill yep. Irish. Mm-hmm. It was intentional. <laughs> it was set up by the yeah. Either way, um, it but was a manufactured famine. But here's the thing, Alex. Like you can say whatever you want about you know about the history and all this stuff but i don't celebrate saint patrick's day because i'm not irish american i'm american i only celebrate the fourth of july <laughs> you know i think i think that's i think that's a great place to end the podcast yeah. <laughs> we can't go wait i gotta say one last Please. thing to all the people majority men as i've noticed who just have all these fucking Joshi podcasts and Joshi blogs and keep talking about the issue with Joshi wrestling is all these old women won't lose the new people and build up the new people. Oh, Jesus Christ. Get, uh. off, your, get off the shitter and open your fucking eyes. You know who's old? Fucking Mudo. He's in his 50s. Nanai Takahashi is mm-hmm. only in her 30s. She's not old. And as I said before, and as I've written, it hasn't been published yet. For one, your sexism is showing, so you need to shut the fuck up. Two, 
The economy is a major factor. We're almost at three decades of stagnation in this Japanese economy that has had a great impact on the wrestling world. Three, shut the fuck up. I don't care about your pasty self and your opinions. You're a fucking pervert. Just admit it. You don't like people that don't make you horny winning titles in promotions that don't make you horny. So you all need to shut the fuck up. Let me talk. I'm the captain of the ship. I've done the research. I've read the books. I've watched the matches. I've read fan blogs of interviews from the fucking 80s. Everyone else shut the fuck up. I used to think I wasn't ready to take that authority. I'm taking the authority right now. Everyone else shut the fuck up. Let me talk. No one else can talk about Joshi Wrestling. Only me. <laughs> no, like, mm-hmm. this is this is funny because um, I don't know if you remember, but, like, when me and Tim started getting, like, all these, like, retweets and, like, praises for, like, the quote-unquote GCW takedown. Yes. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like me and Alex should be, like, the only ones that are, like, allowed to, like, discuss these things. Honestly, like, I wrote a Twitter thread about it and... Like I said, I wrote about it for a website. They haven't published it yet. I need to get in contact with them about it, about publishing it. But it comes down to the fucking gender habitus that lives in a binary society that relies on the binary of male, female, masculine, feminine, feminine, blah, blah, blah. I can talk about it at length later. Add me on Twitter. (laughs) But your sexism is showing. And your exoticism of Japan, Japanese culture is also showing that... You're, you think all these young Japanese women need to be in these high spaces and that all these old Japanese women are holding them back. When reality check, all these old Japanese women are only in their 30s, yeah. maybe early 50s, and they're in the top spots because there was never an audience or they didn't have enough rookies to become a new generation, so they've had to carry promotions for the last 20, 25 years. You don't think they're exhausted? I'm sure Kyoko Inoue is fucking exhausted. Chikusa Nagayo is fucking exhausted. She loves wrestling, but homegirl's exhausted. I'm sure they would love if their trainees were able to get popular enough to lead these promotions and that they could take a step back and have the wrestle less matches. But the reality is, nostalgia sells. And until we get into a spot where women's wrestling can become organically more popular and more women want to become rookies, they won't get that because the economy's in shambles. Who's going to take the risk of becoming a wrestler when you can get a normal job? So everyone else, shut the fuck up. Until you read five fucking books. Until you spend over $100 on a book by a Japanese professor called Transforming Bodies and Gender Experiences of Women Pro Wrestlers in Japan. She interviewed over 10 female wrestlers. Homegirl put in the work. Keiko Aiba put in the work. You fuckers did nothing. Except sit on your fucking couch and think you knew something because you listen to fucking Dave Meltzer and some fucking kind of stalker from the old internet. Shut the fuck up. I can't, uh, I couldn't have put it better myself. I 100% agree with everything you say there. And one thing that you pointed out there, Mudo. How old is Mudo? He's 58 years old, right? He needs to step the fuck down, all that stuff. But compare that to. Jeffrey Bezos. He's 57 years old. Okay. 
if we're going to talk about that these wrestlers are too old and they need to step the fuck down, what about the billionaires? Okay? They're too old. <laughs> Why the fuck is, is Jeffrey Bezos having as much control as he does in the world, right? Like, he's so fucking old, he needs to be taking the backseat as well. The, all, the problem, my point here is, pointing out that the wrestlers are getting too old is missing the point. The reason why everyone is getting too old, it's a gerontocracy. The fucking government, the congressman, the president of the United States are all so fucking old. They should not be in charge of the decisions that affect everyone's life because they're in the highest percentile of the age range. The reason why they're all sticking to it and the reason why they can't retire is because the second you retire, the system treats you as obsolete because you're not producing. You're not, you know, a an important productive worker, member of society. The, yes, you're not a cog in the fucking capitalist machine that destroys people, humans, rips them to shreds and just throws them out when they're done with them and wastes them. And that's why these old fucks feel the need to grasp on to every last shred of relevancy that they can get when realistically what we should really be doing is saying you did what you needed to do and now you get to relax and you deserve it. You earned it. And then if people didn't feel like the second that they weren't relevant, the second that they didn't have money, the second that they weren't thriving and fighting and doing everything they can to hold on to their spot, be it in the economy, the government, or in wrestling, if they thought that once I'm done and once I've done what I can do and I'm at the top, I can step aside and I'm not going to get just fucking thrown into the thresher to be like just gnawed and ripped apart so my viscera can be used to reseed the fucking plants that grow into the continuing fucking striving of capitalism, a society would be much better off. So don't and fucking hate the player, hate the game. The yeah, problem is, yeah, go ahead. No, it's like I said, it's like I said earlier, all these women who are quote unquote all old, they grew up in AJW that still said, when you are 26, you're done, you're out of here. Like, no high school education, and you're being told at 26, your career is over. It's like, yeah, I'm sure that has a lot of psychological effects on these women. Yeah. This yeah, they're living they on know. borrowed time. They're living on borrowed time, because as far as they were concerned, they're supposed to be dead and gone at 26. And now they're continuing on. And why would you give it up? Why would you give it up? Because you're not told that there's anything for you after this as soon as this it's is over all they know fucked. yeah yes commit Alex, class aside thank you so much <laughs> please let's like can we all just like commit to the idea that even if even if you don't agree with like radical politics or all this and that that like there's a certain point where people should feel comfortable like retiring because they're going to be taken care of you know, like that's the easiest thing. But we're at the point now where we're like, no, 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 but no, but Tim, but Tim, you have to work until you're 65 because that's what I had to do. Right. And that means because I had to suffer and my mom had to suffer. That means you have to suffer too. We have to perpetuate. You know, that's definitely how how the world works. Is we have to perpetuate the same evil onto the next generation because that's you know that cycle works out really well. We've seen it over and over again historically, guys. Thank you so much. I, I'll keep going if you guys want to keep going, but I think that we're. <laughs> I think yeah. That what we're gonna do now? Gone. I'm gonna 
I'm going to pull up the link to the Che Guevara musical by Taku Zuka, and we're just going to watch that and do a live let's review. Just, please, let's do it. You know, like, right. no, you're, you're, you're coming up with really great content ideas yeah. for, the we, yeah. for the We Don't Know Wrestling Podcast Network. Yes. Um, so in all, in, all, in all seriousness, like Alex, Alex is like incredible and does stuff in this in this uh, in this bubble of wrestling fandom that I'm not sure anyone has ever thought to do with like the level of like thought and care that she puts into it. I think I think Alex has been great going back to when Wrestling Awards was a thing and she was doing mm-hmm. ringside uh, revolution, ringside revolution, ringside revolution, like. Alex really is like one of the best at this, and I'm glad that we got to do a show. Hopefully, we'll do like a psychology is that or something in the future. But really, like, thank you for for doing this. No problem. Like, I felt weird being called authority before because like I know just so much more now than I did just two years ago that it didn't feel qualified to be called as an authority two years ago. But now I feel like who else? I feel like I'm doing this so that others can know. Because I can't just keep this to myself. Other people should know this knowledge about it is all connected through fucking late stages of Edo Japan up until the fucking 90s and to now. Joshi wrestling is connected to girls culture at large in Japan. But no one else is going to talk about it because a lot of the major voices in wrestling are cis men. And they could connect to it. But I feel like they don't have the shared experience that a lot of teen girls go through growing up and just loving all these different pop cultural things, but having wider society said that these things have no value because it's made for girls. If you weren't a Twilight fan in the beginning, you don't know pain. <laughs> that that's gonna be my ending note. That's out of out of cur- out of curiosity. Were you like I, I've never watched the Twilight series. I'm always like. As a uh, as a uh, very prideful uh, black boy, I never uh, I never I, I, I never watched the Twilight series. Uh, were you uh, Team Edward or Team Jacob? Also, also because I just learned this information. How do you feel about Jacob then marrying Bella's rapidly aging daughter? So I actually have a lot of opinions. So, um. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep it short. My sister bought the book when it first hit shelves in the first printing. So, like, we got in on the ground floor. I will say Twilight, as it was originally intended as a standalone book, it's just fine teen fiction. It's not great, but it's not as bad as people say. It's fine teen fiction. Once Stephanie Mayer started writing more and she started destroying the lore that she created in the first book, it goes downhill. But... I am Team Edward, and but I will say Twilight is a great first romance novel. As someone as Slack knows, reads some romance novels. It's a good like baby's first romance novel. It's fine. It's not bad. It's just fine. Books three and four bad, terrible. Don't read it. Okay, how do you feel about, about Jacob and then Bella's rapidly aging daughter <laughs> and him marrying <laughs> marrying so, her? Because he couldn't marry uh, Bella. So the thing is, is I was re- I read all the books, but then book four happened, Breaking Dawn. That was a shitstorm. I literally did not finish that book because there were sections of the book in Jacob's point of view, and he annoyed me so much, I put the book down and never picked it up again. I never finished Breaking Dawn. I never intended to because Jacob was so annoying. I hated that kid in Breaking Dawn, so that's my answer. 
I hate Jacob. <laughs> Team Edward all the way. You know, I, th- I think that's I think that's the perfect note to end the podcast on. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? Tim? No, when it comes down to it, to me, it's not about Team Jacob or Team Edward. It's about Team Snowden. Um, that's what we 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 support. I need to leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, thank you for joining us tonight, Alex, and thank you for anyone that listened to this uh, podcast in full. This was really fun. It's probably my favorite episode that we've done of yes. this podcast so far. Um, so thank you all for listening. Hope you're here next time. And stardom and everyone in charge of it are kind of revolutionary. <laughs> Like it's never before, so I'm gonna hear if you listen.